Welcome to CYC Podcast, Discussions on Child and Youth Care, episode number 141. I'm Wolfgang Vachon. This week is the ninth in our uploads from Education Day prior to the 20th Canadian National CYC Conference held in British Columbia this past May. Today's episode is by Donna Reed, who speaks about considering alternative delivery models through the teaching of material related to trauma. Her presentation integrates research and conversations with faculty and students and applies the eight principles of trauma towards transforming the CYC classroom and the student experience. Donna Reed is a professor in the CYC program at George Brown College in Toronto. Her practice incorporates clinical assessment and treatment, group work, and community-based support for youth. This presentation is based on research she has been doing for the past year looking at trauma and CYC education. Good morning. So I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about something that has I think a different kind of perspective for those of us who teach and also those of us who are students have been students. And I'm going to talk about um, about a research project that I did uh, when I was on sabbatical um, at George Brown. And I want to talk about where that research project began and where that came from. So can everyone hear me? Yes? Okay. So I had been teaching in the program for probably 10 years and then I began teaching a course called Child Abuse and Neglect. And the Child Abuse and Neglect course was exactly what you would think. It was a course to prepare CYC practitioners to be able to work with some of the most vulnerable um, and challenged young people in, uh, in their careers. And so I started to um, I started to identify at a really early time in the course that the young people that I was teaching were having more and more difficulty with the material in the course. And I realized that when I started receiving these particular emails from these young people and calls from the students and Notice that students weren't coming to class, they weren't handing in work, um, they were telling me that they couldn't do the assignments, or they were completely incommunicado, and they were out there, but I didn't know where they were, and I didn't know what they were doing. And so for me, I started to really think about one of the core values in our practice, which is do no harm. And I wasn't feeling like I was doing no harm. In fact, I felt like I was actually re-traumatizing some of the students in the class who had their own trauma backgrounds. And I was teaching them how to sit through a class so that we could have the bums in the seats but I wasn't teaching them how to learn the material or how to become effective um, as child and youth care practitioners. And so when I started getting these kinds of emails, when I 
or I would get a call from a student who said, I've been throwing up all morning thinking about coming to your class. Then I started feeling not only was I doing harm, but I was being professionally negligent. So I decided I needed to check this out, that I, I had a gut feeling, but I really needed to hear from the students. So I organized uh, a survey, and the survey rolled out at George Brown in our child and uh, uh, child abuse and neglect courses, and also um, at Centennial in their child abuse and neglect courses. And the survey rolled out um, in the fall of 2016, and I had a number of um, incredible responses from students. And this is what I learned. So before students even come in the door of the classroom, they are anticipating that the material is going to be explicit and that it's going to be potentially activating or triggering for them. And when I asked the students why they had that anticipation, they would say, well, because I think that's really important and that's how you teach this material. You want to expose students to potentially activating situations so that they're desensitized. And I thought about that and I realized that that was actually true. It was true for me, it was true for my colleagues, it came from a really well-intentioned place, but it had a significant cost to the students who were in the classroom. We talked about the use of trigger warnings. Trigger warnings were kind of the whole buzz area. Um, and so there was lots of controversy around the use of trigger warnings. And the bottom line is, you, don't, you can't identify everyone's trigger. And just the word trigger warning is a trigger. Um, as soon as you hear that word, you're thinking about potentially activating material. The other thing I learned is that some of us were actually identifying the importance of trigger warnings, but we were doing it at the beginning of the class where the potentially triggering material was going to be seen. So we were actually, we were telling students, the film that you're about to see may possibly trigger you, um, but, um, you know, and if you need to leave the room and identify yourself as having a terrible issue with this particular um, topic, then you're more than welcome to do that. Um, but we were telling them that and we were creating this feeling for them that now they were really trapped. So they knew that we were gonna be using potentially activating material and they couldn't leave because if they left, then everyone would know what they'd been through. And then the other thing that we did, or that we were doing, we actually attached an evaluative component to that particular um, 
material that we used. So we would actually ask them to complete a response paper. And the response paper, or what we would call a critical reflection paper, would often ask them, what was your personal reaction to this material that you've just had to sit through, right? So. <clears throat> so then we looked at the impact of trauma on learning. And we all know it, we know Perry's work. We've identified, um, we've identified how much learning is impaired. You're kidding me. Wow. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um, and so it became really important for me to find a way of delivering this material helping teach students what they needed to know to be effective, respecting the student experience and the fact that they could be coming from their own traumatic background, and also giving them the tools that they needed to rethink how to work with trauma survivors. And because I've been given the three-minute warning, I'm just gonna go through these very quickly. So the students started identifying that mindfulness-based practices were great, that breathing exercises really helped them. So I hung on to that. I asked them how long activating experiences lasted for them. And one of the interesting things that they identified was it wasn't just what they were seeing, but it was the discussions that happened in the classroom that were often more traumatizing because of the way that that classroom experience was organized. So, I did a lot of reading. I specifically focused on the use of traumatic material. And if you come to my workshop tomorrow, I'll give you a comprehensive list of that. But I really started to focus on this whole area of what Corello and Butler refer to as practicing what we teach. And so I needed to look at a couple of different things. The first thing I looked at was the whole area of UDL. So I wanted to create a class that was actually organized and delivered in a way that each and every student in that class could potentially have, <clears throat> pardon me, a trauma history or a trauma background. That was the challenge. And in addition to using the principles of universal design, I looked at the content of what we were actually teaching and the trauma-informed model, trauma-informed care, was one of the areas where I felt I could really incorporate these principles of trauma-informed practice. And I loved the content, and I loved the richness of the content based on the principles. The principles addressed 
a number of different things, including expanding the definition of trauma. So trauma wasn't just about child abuse and neglect. Trauma was about interation, intergenerational abuse. It was about the experience being a refugee. We expanded the definition to incorporate all kinds of different situations. Um, and so this was the model that I used, and I really loved this model. And then what I had to do is, I had to take each one of these principles and put it into living practice in the classroom. And basically, if you come to my workshop tomorrow, <laughs> you'll find out what happened. This concludes this month's episode of CYC Podcast. Tune in next time for more discussions on child and youth care. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit us on our website at cycpodcast.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cycpodcast.